right, how we doing? Ringing? Who, me? Merry Christmas to everybody. Is it too early to say that? Um, <laughs> I, I just, I don't know, I'm having a hard time getting there. Is anybody else with me, like having a hard time, like, silence your cell phones. Um, I know why, I, I figured it out between last service and this service, what the reason is, is because our kids are teenagers. And how many of you have young kids or grandkids? Okay, I think that makes the difference. When your kids, when you're kind of in this stage where I'm at, where your kids are teenagers, you don't have little grandkids, you don't have little kids at home, it's just kind of hard to quite get that awe and that excitement. I know all the Christmas things have been in the stores since Halloween, um, but uh, you know, until you just kind of have that that expectation that little kids bring, it's just kind of hard to to quite get there yourself. But here's the thing: is that uh, John Calvin he said something that I want to kind of steal and then change. He said <laughs> that the, the human heart is an idol-making factory, okay? Um, and, and how I would rephrase that um, is that the, the human heart will uh, always look for something to worship, okay? Um, now, I... <laughs> okay, the human heart will always look for something to worship. And here's the deal. It is inevitable that this is going to, to happen. You're going to try to worship something. And in the busyness of the holiday, okay, uh, you have all the commercialization of Christmas. And, and as a culture, uh, we celebrate Christmas wholesale. I mean, it, this is something that we all do. We're, we're focused on the celebration of Christmas um, and so that's the season that we're in. But unless you intentionally and personally and f have a focus on Jesus, uh, you're going to miss the reason. Okay. Now, even in the church, this is happening to a lot of people. We are busy about all the preparations for, for Christmas. How many of you were on Amazon this week searching for only prime things? All right, our mail carriers are, they have to hate us because we, we have to get these things this week before Christmas Eve, before Friday. These things have to arrive. Um, but we're so focused on all the preparations, meals and parties and presents and all, all the rest of it. And that's fine. I have no, no problem with that. Um, but in order to really celebrate Christmas as Christians, we have to intentionally make sure that we exalt Christ. And we're exalting Christ in our worship services. But even, even in that, even as we come together for this right here, right now, I believe that it is possible, if not easy, to have just uh, participated in and sung the songs for the last 20 minutes or so and miss a spirit of worship. Is that possible? And we can even sit through a sermon or sleep through a sermon. Um, 
and miss what, what is really intended here, which is to draw our hearts and our minds and our spirits to a place of worship. And if we can miss it in a worship service, how hard is it to actually worship tomorrow or the next day or the next day? How, how, how difficult is it going to be for us to get a spirit of worship as we approach Christmas week? The solution is that we have to focus our hearts and our minds and our attention on the person of Jesus Christ. So as we walk through the Christmas story, what I want us to see is not so much all the, the trappings of Christmas as much as what it really is all about. It's about the, the person, the unique person that Jesus is and his worthiness to be worshipped. Okay, And so uh, let's stand as we read God's word. This is Luke chapter 1, and we're going to pick it up in verse 26. Luke 1, 26. And you've heard this you know, many, many, many times over the years. Um, so we, we're going to read it again, but we're going to look at it in just a little bit different way. And so this is what it says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born uh, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And Father, we uh, come, like Mary, uh, very humbly to you, to your word, uh, to receive from you only uh, what you can give, Lord, the understanding, and, and beyond that, um, really the, the change, the transformation, uh, the new life that we can have in Jesus Christ, Lord. We pray that even in this short time that we're uh, opening our hearts and minds to your word, that you would take that word and do what uh, your word declares, that uh, you would do an effective work. Uh, you said that it would never return to you without doing its work. Lord, we pray that today, as your word is opened, um, understood, explained, and, and received, Lord, that uh, you would get the result that you want. Change our minds. Change our lives, change our hearts, God, and set us on a new path. Um, Lord, if we're on the right path, then, Lord, we praise you. And Lord, help us to go another mile and get down that road uh, towards growth, uh, towards effectiveness for your glory, God. Whatever you want, we are humbly just coming to you to ask for your will to be done. And whatever your will is, Lord, make it known um, and give us the strength to receive it and, and do exactly what you want. 
God, we give you all the praise. We thank you for all that you are and all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to very quickly go through some of the elements of the story that we're very familiar with. Mary and Joseph are engaged. That is a legally binding contract, okay? And there's usually a year-long engagement um, just for the insurance to prevent the very thing that's happening in the story, okay? You have a young woman who is pregnant in the middle of the engagement. Is that a problem? Absolutely a problem. Uh, unless you have a miraculous and spiritual and uh, somehow a mysterious way for God to make it known to Mary and Joseph that this is from God. Very unique. Now, let me tell you just a little bit of the history of the Gospels. Gospel of Luke um, is the gospel where we get all the information about Mary and her experience with the angel and all the rest of it. Um, this is where you have the shepherds and the angels and all that. The gospel of Matthew um, is the other gospel that has the birth narrative, and that was going to ha- take the birth narrative from Joseph's perspective. Okay, And so Mary is seen in that passage in, in Matthew, but uh, she's not the main character. Joseph is getting dreams, and he's getting revelations, and he's being told that what is conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. Uh, but those are the two places where you're going to see all the information about uh, Jesus' birth. Gospel of John, all he says is, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and then he says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and then he goes right into the ministry of Jesus. Gospel of Mark just starts with Jesus with 30, was 30 years old and he began his ministry. Just totally skips over anything concerning the, the birth of Jesus. So what you have in Luke is a very particular issue, which is that Mary is the, uh, the figure that is most uh, concerned, okay? And he is most concerned with her. Now, what he says is that she is of the line of David. How many of you know that the Messiah must be from the lineage and the ancestry of King David? Okay, if you didn't know that, you know it now. So you can all raise your hand. He has to be. The Old Testament prophesied the Messiah has to be from the lineage of David. Mary qualifies. Joseph qualifies. Matthew's gospel has a genealogy that follows Joseph's family line. Why? Because Joseph is the legal father... Okay, he's not the biological father, but he will be the legal and adopted father, so his lineage matters. Mary, there's a lineage or a genealogy in Gospel of Luke chapter 3 that we have, and it is Mary's genealogy. She also is particularly of the line of David. David comes from the tribe of, who knows, Judah. Judah, and then that's in the southern part of Israel, and the the place of David's birth was, anybody? Bethlehem. So that's where they're going to have to go when they have the census. Somehow, uh, Mary and Joseph both ended up in Nazareth. Nazareth is northern Israel. It's in the, the region of Galilee. And that's a weird thing, okay? Uh, how they ended up there, we don't really know. But this also is to fulfill prophecy, Because it says in the Bible 
particularly in Isaiah, that the Messiah would be a Nazarene. And how we get that passage is that Nazareth did not exist in the Old Testament. It it wasn't a city at that point. But what happens is that the word in, uh, in Isaiah is that the Messiah would be of the branch of Jesse. And the word branch in Hebrew is Natzer. Okay, and so it's a word play that he would be a Nazarene. So he was going to come from Nazareth. Not only is he going to be born uh, or is he going to hail from Nazareth, but he's also, this issue of Nazareth is this issue of being rejected, that he's not going to be well-liked or well-received. Nazareth and northern Israel are particularly um, disagreeable to the Jewish people. Because what happened after Solomon was that Israel split from north and south. In the northern kingdom, if you read through uh, the, the books of uh, First and Second Kings, uh, the northern kingdom never had a single godly king in their entire history. And then finally, they were um, destroyed by the Assyrians, they were exiled by the Assyrians, and that whole land became kind of corrupted. So Jesus, coming from the northern part of Israel is going to fulfill part of that, that uh, prophecy, but also particularly Nazareth, that he is from a city that everybody seems to think is on the wrong side of the tracks. Now, you play that forward and you see that Jesus seems to be pretty popular. Would you agree? He had thousands of people that are going to come and listen to him preach. And it seems like people just are just eating up his words and they want to be near him and touch him and and he's in crowds and all the rest of it. But the, the reality is that in his ministry, he is, and maybe this will make you feel a little bit better uh, about your life. <laughs> Sometimes I, I think about this for my own life. But um, he was not very well received. In fact, by the time he goes to the cross, how many followers does he have? Okay, you have the Messiah. Uh, the Son of God, and, and all his disciples are, are right there living with him, you know, watching him, walking with him for three years. You would think that a Messiah um, would elicit the response of being willing to die for this person. Would you agree? If I'm a devoted follower of this person and they're in trouble, then I'm going to put my neck out on the line in, in case something happens to him. But he goes to the cross all by himself. And even though he has some people who still love him, still believe in him, they are not willing to go to the extent of laying down their life for him. He goes to the cross all alone. He is completely uh, uh, rejected by everyone. Okay, So he fulfills all these prophecies. Now we get to the actual uh, issue of what the angel says. And he says to Mary in verse 31, says, you shall call his name Jesus. And Jesus means God saves. Uh, the, the word we, you could also say is Yeshua. Um, and how many of you have a friend named Joshua? Anybody know somebody named Joshua? Does that mean that they're the Savior? That's the same word. It's the same exact uh, translation. Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus are the same name. So anybody can say God saves. I can say God saves. Can you say that? God saves. Does that mean that you're the Savior? But he is going to be 
somebody different. There are a lot of people who are named Joshua. There are a lot of people in Jesus' day who are named Jesus. That doesn't mean that they're the Savior, but he's going to be somebody that's different. It says this, there are uh, six particular distinctions. He says he will be great. Now, um, that word great is, is so ambiguous and so understated that there's no way to get around this. How great was Jesus? Anybody? How great was he? Super great? Really great? Uh, was he great in every aspect? Was he, did he, was he great in his nature? Was he great in his activity, in his life, in his preaching, in his sacrifice, in his continued reign and rule now? I mean, you could talk about the greatness of Jesus all day, every day, and never exhaust the material that you would find on the greatness of Jesus. So he just says, he'll be great, um, and you can fill in the blanks from there. Uh, but then he says he will be the son of the Most High. He actually explains that a little bit more down in the next passage. He says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. He is going to actually have a different nature than anyone else who's ever been born. Uh, and here's what you find in Scripture, is that in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall of man, God begins to declare uh, the prophecy or the, the curse on humanity and on the serpent, on Satan. And what he particularly says is that uh, the woman, that her seed will then crush the head of Satan. Okay, and what you find in that is, is two things. One is that the Messiah will be a human being. Okay, he's going to be born of the woman. But you also have an indication that this is going to be a unique person who whose birth excludes the participation of a man it's the first indication of a virgin birth and then over in isaiah he prophesies and he gives a sign and so uh, isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 isaiah says therefore the lord himself will give you a sign and what's happening is that a king uh, king ahaz um, is being told that he can ask for a sign from God. Any sign that you want. If you could ask for any sign from the Lord, what, what would that be? Uh, here, God, my, the sign that I want is that you would just give me $10 million right now. Um, he can ask for any, any sign in the world. And he, in false humility, says, no, 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 I wouldn't dare ask God for a sign. And Isaiah says, okay, here's your sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel. How many of you know what the word Emmanuel means? God with us. Isaiah is prophesying that what God said in Genesis chapter 3 is certainly going to come true, that the virgin will conceive without the participation of a man and that it will be God. Fully human, fully God. Somehow, miraculously and mysteriously, that this person is going to have a new nature. Paul says the reason for that um, is not just so that he'll be good. The reason for that is because he is going to have a different nature than what you and I have. That the federal head, the federal uh, representation of humanity is Adam. You have inherited, and so have I, a, a 
nature from Adam. It's a sinful nature. Would anybody disagree with that? Okay. We all are in agreement. Silence is agreement. <laughs> we're sinners. We know that we're sinners. Okay. It, it's inherent in the things that, that we fail at, the things that we're prone to, the things that we're tempted to. We're just, we understand that. Jesus does not have that same nature. Paul says that Jesus is the second Adam. He's a new kind of person. He's a, a new representative for the human race that in his nature, he's not going to be the same as you and me. He's perfect. He's holy. He is actually God in the flesh. And here's where you have to pause for just a moment and understand something about the nature of worship and adoration. Jesus deserves worship because of who he is. Before he ever did anything, good or, good or bad or anything else, I mean, he didn't do anything bad, but uh, before he, he took one step on this earth and did a thing, said anything, or sacrificed himself, he still deserves worship because he's God. Now, the application to that in your life and my life is that you have to give him your love, your worship, and your adoration before, okay, before you expect him to bless your life. If you get that backwards, you're going to be in trouble. And here's what I mean. A lot of people um, are resentful to God about the way their life is going, and they refuse to worship, trust pray, seek, or anything else until God gives them what they're asking. And until I get that thing that, that I'm asking from God, until he, he shows me that he's good, he's got to prove himself to me personally that he's good, then I'll, maybe I'll believe in him and trust him. And I'm telling you, that's not how it works. You trust him, you put your faith in him, you adore and honor him, and then what you begin to see in your life, and, and anybody who's been a follower of Christ for very long can witness to this, testify to this. As you adore him and lift him up, then you begin to see your life through his eyes. And the things that you thought were hard or difficult or wrong or not what you wanted, you begin to see that those were God's training and maturing and helping you to understand life a little bit differently, that he is still in control no matter what's going on in your life. It, it gives you a different perspective. And it gives you a different perspective because fundamentally you have a different nature. You're, you're not the same as you used to be. People look at Christians, authentic, devoted followers of Christ, like they have two heads. Because guess what? We're weird. I, it's true. There's no doubt about it. We shouldn't be ashamed of it. We're weird. And that's okay. In this culture, we, we, we need to be weird. Now, we don't need to be weirdos, but we do need to be different. And part of that difference is that I have a, a different alignment to how my life is supposed to go. It's not according to my will. It's not according to my pleasure. It's not according to my design. It's whatever God wants, whatever he says, whatever he shows, whatever he leads. 
and then I say, okay, that's your will, God. That's where I'm going. And sometimes it's going to put you in a position where people aren't going to like you. Sometimes it's going to put, put you in a uh, position where financially it doesn't make sense. It just, it's okay, though. Because when you're in God's will, you are this, in the safest place you can possibly be. Outside of God's will, doesn't matter how successful you are, outside of God's will, you're in danger. And most of the world is in danger because the, they're worshiping self. I want what I want for my life. I don't care what God wants. I just need God to bless what I'm doing and what I want. And God says, that's not how it works. Exalt Christ beyond anything that he'll ever do for you, and you'll start to get the picture of how life is supposed to go. Okay, so he's the son of the Most High. And then it says three different things. It says, uh, God will give him the throne of his father, David. Uh, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, there will be no end. Okay, so in those three things, do those three things sound similar? You're like, I forgot the first thing. Okay, let me say it again. God will give to him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Do those three things sound similar? Okay, and here's why. The angel Gabriel is telling Mary, without saying the exact same thing three times, but he is repeating the same thing in three different ways. Because here's what you see in Scripture. If something is repeated twice, then that is confirmation. Jesus says, verily, verily, uh, I say to you, okay, when he says that, he's saying, um, you can take this to the bank. It's confirmed. Truly, truly. Okay, this is, this is uh, something that you can depend on. But if I say something three times, God is holy, 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 then that is absolute, okay? It's not just confirmed. It's he's absolutely holy. He's holy in every aspect forever, okay? And so when Gabriel says that he's going to reign in these three different ways, he's repeating that three times, he's saying Jesus will reign absolutely. He will reign over all the universe, over every human being, over every creature, over all creation, no matter who and for how long. He's going to reign forever. He's, he will inherit the throne of his father David, but he's going to inherit it in such a way that there will be absolutely no dispute. Philippians says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? He's going to rule absolutely. He is going to be in charge for all eternity. So you might think, well, it's kind of important that I make him Lord of my life now. Would you agree? But you still don't know what kind of ruler he's going to be because he could be a tyrant. Couldn't he? Well, you're saying, no, you don't. You know, you know the story. But here's what it says. Chapter 2, he's going to describe in, in the situation with the angels and the shepherds what kind of ruler he will be. So it says this. If you want to read along, it's chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, now they're in Bethlehem, okay, the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You might underline all the people. Okay, that includes how many? All. Okay, good. For unto you 
is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel, with the angel, multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, that night that Jesus was born, uh, you kind of picture like God looking around Bethlehem, trying to find some people that are awake. Right? Is that what God's doing? Shake your head, no, that's not what he's doing. He goes to the shepherds for a particular reason. Okay? The nation of Israel has always been identified as a people uh, who raised sheep. They were always identified like that. It was their national identity. From the time of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then the 12 tribes of Jacob, or the 12 tribes of, of Israel, uh, that's what they were known as. And, and when they went into Egypt, you remember uh, that as a family, there's 72 of them or so, they go into Egypt, and right away the Egyptians put them in the land of Goshen, because the Egyptians find it particularly detestable, uh, this raising of sheep. So they put them in their own little place because that's what they do and that's who they are. Moses, when he goes out and he kills somebody and he's kind of wandering around for about 40 years or so, what's going on? What is he doing when he encounters the burning bush? Anybody know? He's a shepherd, right? Then he's going to become the shepherd of God's people. They come out of Egypt they go into the land of Israel, long story short. And then who's their first great king? First great king, David. What is David before he's a warrior and a king? He's a shepherd. What does David say in Psalm 23 about the Lord? The Lord is my shepherd. Here's what's happening. In Luke chapter 2, the shepherds are, are particularly chosen by God to reveal the message of who Jesus is going to be. Jesus takes the message, message of the shepherds and he says that I am the what? The good shepherd. And then he says, um, if that's not enough, that he's a good shepherd, he says, I'm the gate for the sheep. Does that seem like he's changing the imagery? Okay, and here's the thing. If you don't understand how shepherding works in the first century, it might seem that way. But what's going on is that how they shepherded sheep is that they would have a round pen made of stone and they would have an open gate, an opening for the sheep to come in and out. And at night, what the shepherd would do is that he himself would lay in that opening and he himself would become the gate so that no harm could come into the sheep and the sheep could not get out without him waking. He could protect them. He's not changing the image, he's just expanding it that the good shepherd is the one who lays down his life for the sheep. What kind of, of a shepherd is he? He's a good shepherd. What kind of a king is he going to be? He's going to be a good king, the kind that protects you, lays down his life for you. Not only that, that'd be enough, but he, they find him lying in a manger. Now, here's the thing about Bethlehem. Bethlehem is about five miles from Jerusalem, and it was the area and the region based on David's family. Okay, this is what they did and what they were known for. But they raised sheep for temple sacrifice. This is where they came to get their lambs for the slaughter for the temple sacrifice. And they sacrificed sheep and lambs every single day. And when they find Jesus lying in a manger, 
then what you see is that Jesus is being symbolized here as what? The Lamb of God. This is what the, uh, the John the Baptist says. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away what? The sin of the world. That Jesus, even if he didn't do any of that stuff, he would still be worthy of our worship. But not only is he worthy because of his nature, he's also worthy because of his goodness, and he's also worthy because of his sacrifice. And then the last thing that he does, which is all bound up in all of this, is that he is willing to transfer that nature to you. You, you inherited a sinful nature. You want a different one? Where are you going to get it? Hard work? Anybody tried? Tried that path? I'm just going to try to be better. You find yourself eventually running out of willpower and steam. I mean, I can't even lose five pounds. It's like, okay, I'll just wait till the holidays are over, I guess, because I don't have the energy to do even that. And you think that you're going to not sin? Like by your own strength and power? You think you're just going to somehow, every day of your life, you're going to earn your way into heaven? He says, you need a different nature, and you can only get it by receiving it through Jesus Christ. So here's what we do. Mary, when she heard from the Lord, she then went back and said, okay, I need a little confirmation. You know, the Bible never condemns Mary for asking for, con for confirmation. You know that? You're, you're hearing the word of God today. Whether you recognize it or not, you're hearing the word of God. God is calling you to trust Jesus and to put him first in your life. Okay? Some of you do not have Jesus Christ in your life. He's not in your life. He's not your, your Savior. You haven't trusted him. You haven't said, Lord Jesus, come in and change my life. Would you forgive my sin? Would you be my Lord? Would you help me to know your will? Would you help me to follow you? Some of you have not done that. Maybe because you're waiting for some confirmation. Here's what the Bible says. You're hearing the word of God. You can ask God for confirmation. Just say, God, I want to believe this. It sounds good. Maybe it sounds too good to be true, but would you confirm it? And I'm going to, I'm going to put myself on, on, the, on the line here. I believe that I can say this. I guarantee if you will ask God to confirm that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, he will certainly do that. If you're hesitating to ask for that confirmation, it's because you have put something ahead of God in your life. And you're not yet willing to give that thing up in order to have God be first. And for a moment, at least, you have to be willing to put whatever that is aside. It may be an addiction. It may be a relationship. It may be a plan for your future. I don't know what it is. You have to be willing to set it aside and say, God, I, I want to deal with this issue. Are you the Savior that you claim to be? And let him confirm it to your heart. And the very next thing that you got to do, you have to do what Mary did. What did she do? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Each and every one of us can say the exact same thing. 
When I know that God has confirmed it, I just got to step forward in obedience and say yes. He'll work out the details. Okay? Your life might radically change in a moment. It might not. It might take years for God to unpack the things that you've put in, in the compartment of your heart. It took me years. How many of you, it took a while? That's okay. But the first step is just to say, yes. And I'll discern your will every day from here on out. And by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, he'll give you the ability to continue to do that day after day after day. Not always easy. Sometimes you take a step back, um, but he'll do that. For the believer, I assume that we have a few believers in the room. It's not a first-time thing, but it's an everyday thing. And maybe you don't need absolute confirmation. You just need to do what God's been telling you and say, you know what, I know what I need to do. I've just been hesitating for whatever reason. Renew your commitment. Take a step of faith and move forward. Part of that is you've got to get this word into your heart, into your mind. And the other part is, you got to exalt Christ. Make him first. Just tell him, Lord, I want you to be first. Help me to do that. Amen? And then Christmas is absolutely a celebration. Father, we thank you. We give you praise, God, that you have given us not only um, truth, you've given us a new creation. You gave us your son that uh, uh, would be not only the greatest person that would ever live, um, but you have given us uh, the ability to be like him, to actually receive that same nature as, uh, as he has. What an awesome gift. God, help us to, to uh, live a life worthy of that calling. You're, you're calling us, each and every one, into... Uh, that relationship that can change everything, God. I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would do a fantastic, mighty work. God, I, I cannot change myself, much less anybody else. But I can ask for you to do it. And so I'm praying for that today. I'm asking, Lord, would you change my heart? Make me more like Jesus, Lord. Would you change our hearts, God, as a, as a congregation? Would you take that person that's right on the edge of faith who has doubts, concerns, issues, but, Lord, would you confirm in a powerful way, in an unmistakable way, who you are? Lord, would you give them that tug to just come and bow before you and just see how good it is to know you. Lord, I pray for the, the courage to make that step. Lord, we just, we give it to you. We, we can't do it, but you can. So we ask you to do all that you will in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar... We call this area the altar. 
um, because the altar is a place for things to die. And so ultimately the, the issue is that your old self has to die. That, that person that you inherited from Adam, it has to be laid on the altar and, and it has to be uh, uh, something that you're willing to let go so that you can receive that new nature. When you get up from the altar, uh, you're getting up as a living sacrifice, a new person in Christ. Uh, you actually have the nature of Jesus, not because you did anything, but because he did it in you. Amen? There's a power in a physical act of kneeling. I can't explain. Some of you know that. There's a humility that it takes just to come and, and, and bow. And so if the Lord is calling you, not because I'm saying anything, okay, but if the Lord is calling you, um, then you need to just listen to the Holy Spirit, come to the altar by yourself, or grab somebody to pray with you if you want, to make that initial step of faith. Amen? We're here just to pray for you, just to lift you up to the Lord. And uh, we want to do that this morning. So let's stand and let's sing.